Today's Bible reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Well, good morning. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And King David's psalm speaks of the relationship between the good shepherd and his flock. And we Christians, I'm trying to get away from this thing a bit. We Christians are the flock that uh, the good shepherd watches over. Psalm 23, you might note was written 3,000 years ago and is one of the most loved pieces of scripture. It's often requested to be read at funerals because it gives comfort and reassurance to all believers. Most scholars who've studied this piece have accredited the wisdom of the psalm to David's later years of life and maturity in the Lord. Psalm 23 is a song of gratitude that tells of David's relationship with God as his shepherd. David wrote Psalm 23 based on his experiences in life and he wanted to depict the marvellous work of God through him and encourage many believers with his testimony. And I hope today as we look at this psalm that the Holy Spirit will inspire us all to look at it further and take comfort from the many blessings, promises and assurances that are here in this psalm, Psalm 23. If I had to summarise it, and believe me, no summarisation of the psalm is complete in itself, I'd say firstly that we who believe belong to God and we belong with God, not only to God but with God and also in harmony with our Lord. The good shepherd laid down his life for us so we should live for him, not just for ourselves as we so often do. And in the same way that sheep give income to the shepherd, you know, we often get a bit idealistic about the good shepherd thinking he's never going to eat one of his lambs, um, never going to take him to the sale yards, but uh, sheep are there to give income to the shepherd. And in a same sort of way, uh, the Lord watches over us and blesses us so that we can walk in right paths as he directs us and in so doing bring honour to his name. You are saved to serve the good shepherd and that's something we need to keep in mind. Those good things that are promised in Psalm 23 are ours in Christ. So rejoice in God's goodness and generosity. 
King David symptomatically, or systematically, I should say, lists out the benefits that the good shepherd gives to his sheep. And in verse 1, he talks about, because he is my shepherd, just the very use of the word shepherd, it speaks of protection, leadership, and an identity, belonging to the shepherd, and everything we should need. You know, as Christians... We often don't have everything we want, and and that's a given. But the Lord, our God, our good shepherd, sees to it that we have everything we need. Jesus said in John ten eleven to 14 that he is the good shepherd, and a good shepherd sees his flock as his own most prized possession. He says in this passage, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. And I take from that that he owns us. That's why he takes such good care of us. We belong. And, and that's important. It gives you a sense of place in God's kingdom. You know, we've sung, I'm a child of God. That's who he says I am. And this reaffirms that. In verse 2, King David says his good shepherd gives him rest and pleasant surroundings. And we often limit our thoughts of rest to mean what we do when we get home from work. You know, I can't wait to get home from work, put my feet up because they're tired. They're tired than the top half. And uh, to me, that's rest. And it's true that God gives us this sort of rest for our bodies to restore a freshness and give renewed strength. But there's a greater gift of rest, and that is rest for our souls. We can have rest from fear, rest from pride, jealousy, hate, Rest from doubts, cares, fleshly lusts. Rest from anxiety. And that's a wonderful thing. Because rest for the soul is really more important than rest for a tired old body. And we can pray and ask the Saviour, our good shepherd, to save us from all of those horrible things. Any or all of them that give an unsettling feeling. Jesus offers rest in Matthew eleven twenty eight, saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest from weariness and rest from the burdens of the mind and soul. And right now we are in probably the most pleasant of surroundings. Australia is a land of plenty, a land of promise and potential. And we should praise our shepherd that we have been raised in such a wonderful country full of green meadows and peaceful streams. And when I think of that, I imagine those poor souls in war-torn lands. Right now I'm thinking of the Ukraine, where their homes are being shot out from underneath them at times. And what we see on the news only shows what the cameraman can get to. We do owe our good shepherd a lot of thanks for the pleasant surroundings in which we live. 
In verse 3, King David sings praise to his shepherd for strength, for guidance, for opportunities to show faith in the shepherd. You know, when, when the shepherd says, sheep, come here, follow me, there, that's an opportunity for us to show faith in the shepherd and to serve him. We, David spoke of strength and I thought, well, can you think of an instance or three when David used the gift of strength from God? Well, I can. In 1 Samuel 17, David tells King Saul how a lion stole a sheep from his flock, uh, a flock that he was minding. He didn't take that kindly. He chased after the lion, grabbed the sheep, took it out of his mouth before any real harm could be done. And when the lion turned on him, David turned on the lion. He grabbed it by its mane so it couldn't get away from him. I'd be thinking of other things. <laughs> I'd be thinking of me getting away from it. But the young David, the shepherd, grabbed that lion by the mane and he clubbed it to death. And he killed it. As a shepherd boy, he also killed a bear that threatened his sheep. He was no scaredy cat, this David. And with that as a reference, King David, uh, sorry, that David the shepherd boy said that the giant Goliath would be just like the bear or the lion and God would give him the victory because Goliath had defiled the armies of the living God. Now, you know the story. I don't have to read it for you, but the Philistine army was there. Goliath, this giant of a man, came out and said, let's, let's do the right thing. Let's get it down to one-on-one. I'll fight the best man in your army, winner take all. And that saves all these other guys getting killed. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. And you remember when King Saul was uh, chosen, he was head and shoulders over everyone else. He didn't want to fight Goliath. David looked at his older brothers. They were big and strong in his eyes. They didn't want to fight Goliath. David said, This guy has defied the armies of the living God. God's going to take him down. So he faced the enemy with not much in human terms. He's only a young fella. He couldn't wear the king's armour. It was too heavy. Couldn't carry the king's shield. Could barely lift the king's sword. So he went to face Goliath in the power and the strength of God. And he had the greatest advantage given to mankind. The shepherd boy had God on his side. And we can have that. We are shepherd boys. Oh, no, we're sheep, really. But the good shepherd will give us his strength in righteous acts. The boy shepherd was strengthened in body and mind and spirit by the good shepherd, our God. And there's Five powerful lessons from David's little battle with Goliath. The first one being, be bigger than your fears. You know, Robin said, we've all had a tough week. <clears throat> and, and I'm not in that. I've had a fabulous week. I know my old bones ache and groan and carry, and I, I groan and carry on. Alison can attest to that. But <clears throat> somehow I always have a good week. So, uh, but some of you have had a rotten week, but be bigger than your fears. The second one is size doesn't matter. Look at David and Goliath. Our size uh, 
doesn't matter. God's omnipotence, his almighty power matters in every situation where we call on his name. The third one is make use of what is at hand, current possessions, talents or skills. David didn't want the king's sword. He was pretty good with a slingshot and that's all he needed. Fourth one, believe it's possible. David believed when he's making his approach to King Saul, David believed this is a done thing. And and we need in difficulties to believe that God will help us. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the fifth and last is never underestimate what God can do through you, what you've got in your pocket, your resourcefulness. You know, what an Australian country boy can do with a a bit of fencing wire and a pair of pliers. That'll fix nearly anything. David's good shepherd is our good shepherd today. Do you believe that? Will you trust that to be true when you face problems? Now also in verse 3, I'm not getting very far through this, in verse 3 David says God, uh, says God as his good shepherd gives the task and ability to bring honour to the Lord. There's a service opportunity for you there. God calls us to serve him in ways that he can, that we can serve. He doesn't call me to be a college professor. I couldn't do it. But he calls me to help people at times in stuff that I can do. Some people shrink back and say, oh, I'm not skilled enough or I'm not good enough to serve God. Well, well, let you, let me tell you a little bit about how good and talented some of our Bible heroes were in the natural before God blessed them with strength and ability. When God chose them to serve in a particular way, he also enabled them. So show a little trust when he puts a burden on your heart to do something for him. These are things to remember. Noah apparently was a bit of a drunk, but he was a good guy in God's eyes. Abraham was too old. Bert's too old. Abraham's too old. There's hope for me yet. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. That is unkind, really. The Bible says Leah was hard on the eyes. And this person has assumed she was ugly. That's a bit harsh. But, But she wasn't the prettiest woman in the world. Let's say that. But God still used her. Joseph was abused. Like... Everything happened to that poor fella out of his control. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was a scaredy cat. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Now, there's the other end of the scale, Jim. We're too old and there's some that are too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah, poor fellow, was suicidal. Remember after Mount Carmel and he ran that marathon and then he hid in a cave and he said, oh, just let me die, Lord, let me die. Isaiah preached naked. Now, I had to look this up because I thought, now, we don't want that in our church. <laughs> but in Isaiah 23, for three years, God instructed Isaiah to take off his tunic and his sandals. We know he's barefoot, bare-chested. Some scholars who, who are a little conservative like myself believe he might have had an undergarment on. But, um, but the word of God says he preached naked for three years. Jonah ran from God. 
didn't want to do it. I feel like that at times. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs, well, locusts actually, but he washed them down with honey. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Alison's done that and I don't blame her. I think I went on too long, but she woke up and, and I'd been long finished. She woke up and said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And I went, now that's a fine fitting. It's been the silent period for quite a while. And I, I've got to dob myself in. I, I used to mix with a, a holy group of men. We thought we were going to bring a revival. We tried hard. The Lord didn't nat- actually answer our prayers at that time, but it wasn't for want of praying. And we would take off our shoes because we were on holy ground. We would prostrate ourselves, prostate, prostrate ourselves before the Lord. And, and I'd worked long and hard before these prayer meetings. And I'd be praying like this. And sometimes I'd, I'd go to sleep. And someone had smacked me on the shoulder and say, you pray now, Bert. And I think, where were, where were we? So, um, I, yes, you can fall asleep. Did the disciples, well, Alice and I are in good company because the disciples did it. Martha worried about everything. I'm a bit like that. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead for a while. So while we're alive, we can serve the Lord. You know, God can use God can use a ragged bunch like that. God can use us. You know, you and I are great specimens compared to some of them. Moving on to verse 4 of Psalm 23, the author says, he's given, or we are all given, courage, protection and comfort. Now, apart from David's courage to battle Goliath and a lion and a bear, we could look at Saul, the apostle, Paul, he, he, he did some amazing things. Remember the disciple Peter who denied Jesus, said he didn't know him at, at the trial and crucifixion. But after the Holy Spirit gave him courage, this same Peter preached publicly following Pentecost saying these words and if you want to look them up they're in Acts 2.36 let everyone in Israel know for certain like he's he's sick of lying to the little servant girl who couldn't touch him he's now broadcasting to the entire nation of Israel that this well he says let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus this same Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah take that and, and in the natural, he had to lie to save his skin to the servant girl. But in the courage of the Spirit of God, he declared the truth to the entire nation. And Peter was protected that day. 3,000 people came to Christ as a result of his speech. You know, it was dangerous times. Not so a few chapters on in Acts when Stephen gets up and preaches much the same sermon, they stoned him to death. If you read the story, you can see God's hand in that too. Because Saul was too young to to take part in the official stoning. He minded the, the clothes for those who would stone Stephen. 
and that touched his heart. I reckon that incident led him, that's a stepping stone on the way to the Damascus Road experience where, he, where God changed his name. Didn't want to be Saul anymore. He's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is full of courage. He lists his sufferings in 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen to 31. I won't go into it. But he had to have courage to go on after the first lot of sufferings. You know, they flogged him five times and they got the, the whip to him uh, five times, 40 stripes minus one, 39. Apparently 40 was fatal, 39 just hurt a lot real lot and you lived for another one the same courage and protection and comfort can be ours or is ours to everyone who believes in Jesus and receives the gift of forgiveness in his name in God we can be bold and brave for his glory not bold and brave for our own but bold and brave for the glory of our God in heaven verse 5 says we are vindicated hey won't that be good Vindicated, seen as being right. You know, oftentimes I'm ridiculed for my Christian faith. And really, I don't care because I know in heaven or in the judgment seat of Christ, I will be vindicated. I pray for those poor souls who don't know the seriousness of the neglect they're giving the subject of salvation. We are given honour and also abundance in life, according to verse 5. Now, these gifts can be now uh, ours in the here and now, but not always. But they will certainly be there in the hereafter. We can be misunderstood, misjudged, even mistreated in this life. Read the story of Joseph. But we are vindicated by our faith in Christ and our greatest honour will be in heaven. And the abundance of this life, though promised and often awarded to those who know how to handle abundance, but the abundance of this life cannot compare with the things God has in store for his children in heaven. That's his home, and he welcomes us home. He's going to bless us. John 10.10 is a wonderful verse. Jesus states in that verse that he came to the world to give us life in all of its fullness, in all of its abundances. The Apostle Paul said he experienced hunger and also times of plenty, but in all of this he enjoyed God's gift of contentment. And if we equate an adequate, uh, an abundant life to true happiness for a moment, consider this. True happiness doesn't come from having everything we want. True happiness comes from being satisfied with what we do have and enjoying it. Don't whinge about what the guy next door's got that you don't have. Enjoy what you do have. In my case, I've got a lot. I've got so much junk, I haven't got time to enjoy it all. So I'll have to, um, yeah, and James has got that too. Bigger shed, James. It's, it's wrong, I know, biblically. Don't, don't keep it all for yourself. Share it out. I call the life of contentment a life in all of its fullness. Turning to verse 6, because 
This psalm just keeps telling us verse after verse after verse that God gives and gives and gives again to those who love and trust him. Christian faith is the gift that keeps on giving. And King David wrote that for us. Verse 6 says the good shepherd gives us love, his love, to strengthen us, but his love to share as well. His goodness to enjoy and to replicate. His mercy and his grace. I know I've bored you with the difference, but I'll do it again. Be merciful unto me, Father. Don't whip the hide off me because I do deserve it, but don't do it. That's mercy. And then out of your store of good treasures, Lord, even though I don't deserve it, give me some good stuff. That's grace. Grace is getting the, the good stuff we don't deserve. Mercy is missing out on the bad stuff that we do deserve. And verse 6 says there's relocation at the end of this life to an unimaginable new life in an amazing new location. You know, streets paved with gold and we are so enamoured with God and being in his presence that we don't stoop down to pick up a piece. Um, that's mind-blowing. I'd be sorely tempted, but in the presence of God, I think his presence would overpower the greedy little heart that I've had in the natural life. The things that are not now then will be, and the problems that we face now will be abolished then. It's something to look forward to, though don't rush ahead of God. We'll be reunited with lost loved ones. Hey, that's important. The parts of our tired old bodies that hurt now will be young and pain-free and powerful again. That's something to look forward to. Those that are disabled now will be fully able then. Amazing stuff. Can you stop for a moment and think what it will be like for you? Can you think what it will be like for someone, a martyr, who's given his life for Christ? What a contrast to life here will that be for those who've died for the Lord Jesus and his gospel. I've got a brother I've never met. I've got two brothers I can barely remember. Yet in heaven, we'll be reunited. And, and that is really exciting for me. But even more importantly, we will see our God, our good shepherd face to face. And that excites me more than catching up with my brothers. To see God face to face. And if there's a little bit of doubting Thomas in us, we can look for the scars and be reassured this is the good shepherd that laid down his life that we can have that life. You know, this psalm brings to mind all the benefits of our relationship with God, our Lord Jesus, our good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows us. And by faith, we know him. As Christians, we know the good shepherd. And, you know, we're still in the natural. Some of us are, are more natural than we ought to be. But the good shepherd loves us. And he'd club a lion to save us. He'd strangle a bear to save us. What a blessing after blessing is brought to mind as we read Psalm 23. And if you missed any of the gifts from God I've listed in this psalm, I'll run through them again quickly because I know time's moving on. 
And, and, and uh, there is morning tea this morning, isn't there, Tony? Tony doesn't know. Does somebody know? Alison's nodding her head. Oh, thank you, Karen. You're in my prayers. <laughs> the blessings that come to us through Psalm 23. This is why it's so, so much a favourite with everybody. We read it and we think, gee, that's nice. Sometimes we don't think why it's so nice. It's because God promises us protection, leadership, a sense of belonging. We are children of the king. We are sheep of the good shepherd. We have assurance for our salvation. Do you know in here that you're forgiven? That's that's what God wants us to know. Romans 8.16 or 16.8. I think it's 8.16. And the Spirit of God speaks to our spirit, assuring us that we are the children of God. That's important. We have all our needs supplied, not all our wants. We have rest. We have pleasant surroundings. We have strength and guidance, opportunities to serve the Lord. Remember that one because I believe God is laying out a raft of opportunities for us that we often overlook and walk past. He gives us courage, protection, victory, comfort. Now, I'm not sure about this one in the here, but in the then, the hereafter, vindication, honour, life in all its fullness. We've got God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's goodness, and at the end of this life, we are promoted to heaven, which I earlier listed as a relocation, because this is life is not an end in itself. This is a preparation for a better life with the good shepherd. Have you got that level of relationship with Christ? We belong to him. We belong with him. And we should know him better. Really, we should. Christ came to give us this abundant life and he died so that we could live in all of its fullness. So are we living for him or so often just for ourselves? I remind you, we're not saved to be sedentary, to do nothing. We're not saved to be a sensation, the most popular person on the planet. No, we are saved for God's good pleasure saved to serve revelation 4:11 says you are worthy o lord to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and that includes us and for thy pleasure they are and were created the sheep are there for the good shepherd's pleasure and he'll save us while we hang on to him he'll hang on to us and he'll give us things to do that will be pleasing in his sight. You were created to give a blessing to our Lord for his pleasure. The 23rd Psalm is about a wonderful relationship that we sheep can have with the great shepherd, our saviour. All the gifts we sheep receive confirm our assurance of salvation. I pray that everyone here really enjoys the witness of the Holy Spirit with your spirit that you are a child of God, a sheep of his pasture. And I pray if you haven't got it or if you haven't got it clearly that you'll have the courage to ask someone to help you find that definite assurance. And since we are the king's children, let's be about 
doing his will in every sphere of life. We're called to serve. And I'd like to finish today with a story about on his majesty's service. I don't think anyone here reads 1950s devotional books, so this will be fresh for you. So, um, I'm trying to think of the name of my favourite. Back, Baxter. J. Sidlow Baxter wrote this. In the service of the king, and he quotes... First Chronicles 26.30. He said, most people in Britain receive periodic mail in envelopes. Now, this would have been in the 1950s. Envelopes, Nat, we don't get many these days. But he said, these envelopes displayed four capital letters print, printed across them, OHMS. Those same four letters should be written in large letters across the life of all true Christians, OHMS, on his majesty's service. He who died to be our saviour rose and lives to be our king. All of us who own him as saviour king are on his majesty's service and we should never forget it. No professor at Edinburgh University was ever more beloved than the late Henry Drummond. He was probably late in 1960, but he's later now. When he was young, Queen Victoria was still on the throne and he tells the story about those days. There was a special celebration of kind where uh, in the village where Henry lived. And the village hall was being decorated with coloured paper streamers to honour the occasion. And soon there was a shortage of these. And Henry, who was 10 years of age at the time, was asked to, the run, to run to the local shop and get some more. And Henry was too, much, too interested in what was happening at the hall. And he, no, it's not happening. And a, a fellow stepped down from the ladder who was hanging these streamers and he said, Henry... This is O-H-M-S. This is a celebration of Her Majesty. And Henry took in the seriousness of it. He gets to serve the Queen. So he dashed off to the shop. That settled it for him. And he tells us that when he was returning with this big bundle, he felt ten feet tall because he was on Her Majesty's service. And we must fling away the common error of thinking that we're only OHMS when we're engaged in some specifically religious activity. We are to wear the king's uniform every minute of every day. Very often we may be serving him best when we are farthest from the church premises or public Christian occupation. If we are truly Christ's, then whoever and whatever and wherever we may be, we are his to be used by him in all we are, in all we say, and in all we do. The Bible is no mere record of religious services, evangelistic campaigns, revival gatherings, and prayer meetings. It has much to tell us about persons and things not directly connected with religion at all. Things of gr Think of great figures like Moses, Joseph, and Daniel. They were men of administrative affairs of government. Their hands were full of... Incredible responsibilities. Joseph and Daniel were both prime ministers next to the very throne in two of history's greatest empires. They had jealous rivals and lived amid circumstances which at times must have made it delicately difficult to give witness to their faith in the one true living God. Yet amid all their exacting duties and responsibilities, they had the fear of God, the awe of the Lord, 
before their eyes and the love of God in their hearts and even to this day their influence lives on in thousands of minds which admire their godly loyalty. We often divide things into sacred and secular but to the real Christian all the secular become sacred because of this OHMS on his majesty's service. Paul designated himself an apostle by the will of God. I believe that just as truly many a Christian today may be a grocer by the will of God, a railwayman by the will of God, a housewife by the will of God, and so on. Someone serving the king in that capacity. John Wesley said, Give me 100 men who fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the gates of hell. He got his 100 And even if the gates of hell were not actually shaken, the whole of Britain was with repercussions right around the globe. And he goes on to say, and and this is a Baptist fellow too, by the way, and he says, oh, those early Methodists, not only the preachers but the rank and file, their consecrated personalities were torches aflame with love for Christ by the kindling of the Holy Spirit. They knew the meaning of on his majesty's service. Lord, kindle me afresh by a live coal from the heavenly altar. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are our good shepherd. We give praise to Christ who laid down his life for us sheep. There's safety in belonging to you, Lord, being guided and led in your way. The gifts of our God who are his children are beyond full description, and far beyond what we deserve. There's joy in our hearts made by this knowledge that our Lord loves us and cares for us and protects and provides for us. We thank you, dear Lord, for the assurance of our salvation. Give courage enough for people to seek it if they don't already have it. We pray this in the name of Jesus, Lord, Messiah, and Good Shepherd. Amen.